Welcome to the Weird History Podcast. I'm Joe Streckert. This is an independent, listener-supported show. To support it, go to weirdhistorypodcast.com. I do not like small, enclosed spaces. I wouldn't say that I'm full-on claustrophobic, but they're threatening, they're off-putting, and one of the scariest movie sequences that I've seen in the past decade, decade and a half or so, is probably the sequence in Kill Bill where Uma Thurman's character is buried alive in a coffin and has to break herself out. That whole sequence where she is struggling against the wooden sides of that casket, where she has a flashlight in her mouth, where she is trying to punch the top of it, and then it fills with earth and she has to climb out. Oh, God, it is more affecting than any other sequence of gore or violence or viscera. And that fear of enclosed spaces is part of why I'm fascinated and sort of horrified by the phenomenon of human beings mailing themselves places. It's something that many have tried. Most people who try it fail at it. And even if you succeed, it's generally illegal. It's almost always uncomfortable. And it is very dangerous. But sometimes people have put themselves in boxes, put stamps on the boxes, and mailed themselves through the post like they are a parcel of, you know, paint or hay or shoes or billiard balls or something else. And here are four notable examples of humans in the mail. The first is Henry Box Brown, who of all our examples today probably had the best reason to be human male. Uh, Henry Brown was born into slavery in Virginia in 1816, and for some time his life was fairly normal for a slave in the antebellum South. He worked, he toiled, he was filled with ideas about religion, he was taught to believe that his master was God, and he also married and had a wife and kids. Now, slave marriages, they were not recognized by white slave owners, and Brown's master eventually sold his wife and children. Brown was understandably upset. After his family was sold off, he didn't really have anything tying him to his current situation, so he made plans to escape from captivity in 1849. Brown was able to enlist the help of two local abolitionists. One was a free black, and the other was a white shoemaker. And with their help, they devised a plan to ship him in a box via a private postal service called the Adams Express Company. They chose this courier service specifically because it was known for its discretion and did not do too much peeking into packages. Brown would be shipped from Virginia to Philadelphia, and in Philadelphia he'd be unboxed by abolitionists. But... First, he had to get in the box, and to do that, he had to get away from his daily toils. So, Brown deliberately injured his own hand, uh, reported to his overseer that he had been injured, and he got excused from that day's forced labor. That gave him enough time to meet up with his two co-conspirators and get ready for shipment. This is how Brown described the box in his autobiography. He said, quote, the box, which I had procured, was three feet one inch wide, two feet six inches high, and two feet wide. And on the morning of the 29th of March, 1849, I, 
went into the box, having previously bored three gimlet holes opposite my face for air and providing myself with a bladder of water, both for the purpose of quenching my thirst and for wetting my face should I feel getting faint. I took the gimlet also with me in order that I might bore more holes if I found I had not sufficient air. Being thus equipped for the battle of liberty, my friends nailed down the lid and had me conveyed to the express office, which was about a mile distant from the place where I was packed. I had no sooner arrived at the office than I was turned heels up while some person nailed something on the end of the box. I was then put on a wagon and driven off to the depot with my head down, and I had no sooner arrived at the depot than the man who drove the wagon tumbled me roughly into the baggage car, where, however, I happened to fall on my right side, unquote. Brown's journey was a rough and uncomfortable one. Despite the box being covered with warnings that it was fragile, that it should be handled with care, and that a particular side should be up, apparently a lot of porters just ignored those things on the outside of the box. Here's more from Brown's autobiography. He wrote, quote, When the driver arrived at the depot, I heard him call for some person to help take the box off the wagon, and someone answered him to the effect that he might throw it off. But, says the driver, it is marked, This side up with care, so if I throw it off, I might break something, the other answered him. The other answered him that it did not matter if he broke all that was in it, the railway company was able to pay for it. No sooner were these words spoken that I began to tumble from the wagon and falling on the end where my head was, unquote. Fortunately, Brown survived the experience, neck unbroken, but bruised a bit. He was eventually delivered to Philadelphia, where he was unboxed by Quaker abolitionist. Supposedly, his first words as he got out of the box was the cagily understated phrase, How do you do, gentlemen? And Brown called his eventual emergence of the box his resurrection from the grave of slavery. His story of cleverly escaping slavery via the mail system immediately became a sensation in Philadelphia and then in the North in general. People really wanted to hear about this man who had escaped from servitude via the mail system. One person who was not amused by the proliferation of this story, though, was Frederick Douglass. Douglass He was a little annoyed with Brown making his story public because Douglas had hoped that other slaves would be able to escape the same way. And if that was a known means of escape, then that would be clamped off from other people who wanted to mail themselves to freedom. In 1850, though, the U.S. passed the Fugitive Slave Act, and Brown realized that he was no longer safe in the North. He moved to England, where he could be secure in the knowledge that he would not be returned to his former master. There, he became a stage magician, a performer, and a mesmerist who worked anti-slavery messages into his stage show. He performed under such names as the King of All Mesmerists, the African Chief, and Dr. Henry Brown, Professor of Electrobiology. And he was apparently a pretty good performer and a pretty good magician, uh, he was successful. He married an Englishwoman, he had a few more kids, and he returned to North America after the Civil War, taking his magic show on the road in the United States and Canada. He died in Toronto in 1875, and of all the people I'm going to name today, he definitely has the best reason 
for mailing himself from point A to B. Our next entrant, he just did it to be weird. The Englishman W. Reginald Bray loved stamps. He loved the mail system. He loved anything involving delivering a thing from one place to another place. And he made a hobby of sending unpackaged items through the British mail system. For example, he successfully sent a turnip through the mail. The turnip had some stamps on it, and its address was carved into the side. And it arrived. This worked. He did the same thing with a purse that just had some stamps and a label on it, a bowler hat, some shoes, and an Irish terrier. And Bray wasn't trying to break the rules of the British mail service. No, he was looking for things that were not specifically prohibited by postal regulations. And if they were not specifically prohibited, he would send them through the mail. There's no rule that said you couldn't send an Irish terrier through the mail. And there's also no rule that says a dog can't play basketball. Anyway, he also mailed himself three times, twice in 1900 and once in 1903. Now, unlike Henry Box Brown, he did not get in a box. Instead, he just adhered stamps to himself and showed up at the post office, said, Hello, I'm a parcel. Here's enough postage on me for you to convey me from one point to another. Then he got postal authorities to transport him to a given address, and letter carriers would walk him to his destination. That must have been a really, really weird day at work for whoever was charged with delivering W. Reginald Bray, a man who mailed things. And I admire that. I admire that, like, weirdness for weirdness's sake. Now, our next entrant is not about being weird or escaping to freedom. This is just about saving money on some train fare. Uh, in 1914, four-year-old May Pierstorff was supposed to visit her grandparents. Pierstorff lived in Grangeville, Idaho. Her grandparents were about 75 miles away in Lewiston. Uh, her parents, though, didn't have a lot of money, and while they wanted their daughter to be able to visit her grandparents, they didn't want to pay for a train ticket, especially for a four-year-old. What to do? Well, they noticed that the weight limit for the U.S. Postal Service's parcel post was 50 pounds, and their daughter May weighed 48.5 pounds, so their kid was just short of the USPS's limit, and they could just mail their daughter to the grandparents for 53 cents, which is the equivalent of about $13 in 2017 money. There was no rule saying that you couldn't mail human children, so why not? Now, don't worry. They did not put their daughter in a box. This is not a story about monster evil parents lowering their four-year-old into a box, nailing it shut, putting some, like, breathing holes in it, and then just hoping it all works out. Like W. Reginald Bray, this is an incident where the mail system knew that they were carrying a human. May's parents attached stamps to her coat, and she hung out with the mail on the train, where she was taken care of by rail staff. So, also, there are no unattended children in this story. Don't worry, May is fine. And a letter carrier escorted her to her grandparents' house, and she got there completely safely. This is kind of a twee and amusing and charming story. Uh, there is a children's book about it called Mailing May, but after the May-Pierstorff incident... 
the U.S. Postal Service ruled that you are not, in fact, allowed to mail human beings, even if they are human beings that are within the weight limit for parcel post. Last one, Reg Spears. James Reg Spears was almost an Olympic athlete. In 1964, he traveled to England from his home in Australia to compete in the Olympic trials there for the English team, and he didn't make it. After the Olympic trials, he didn't really have a way to get home, though. Um, I guess he didn't think this trip out all that clearly. Apparently, he didn't have the foresight to book a round-trip ticket with his airplane. Something... In a 2015 interview with the BBC, Spears claimed that his wallet had been stolen and that he couldn't afford a ticket home, a phone call, anything. So obviously the solution was to put himself in a box and ship himself to the opposite side of planet Earth. Yes, that's what you do when you don't qualify for Olympic trials and then your wallet gets stolen. You say, I'm going to go in a box. In that 2015 BBC interview, he said, I worked in the export cargo section of an airport. So, I knew about cash on delivery with freight. I'd seen animals come through all the time, and I thought, if they can do it, I can do it. So, hey, he gets in a box, he gets on a plane, box is labeled for cash on delivery, he gets a free ride across the hemispheres. He got a friend of his to build him a box that was 5 feet by 3 feet by 2.5 feet, so only a little bit bigger than Henry Box Brown's. That is pretty cramped, and he could sit with his legs straight, or he could lie down with his legs bent, but he could not fully extend himself. The box was equipped with three straps, one that went around Spears' chest and held him in place, and two others that he could grab onto with his hands for stability. He also had a pillow, a blanket, and two plastic bottles. One bottle was filled with water. The other one was empty, which is a good thing to take care of. Um, there's a link to the relevant BBC article about this on weirdhistorypodcast.com, and you can click through, and they have a replica of the box that you can look at. He gets in the crate, he's sealed up, he's with all the packages and the like, and he did let himself out of the crate a few times during his journey, which stretched from London to Paris, then from Paris to Mumbai, and then from Mumbai to Perth. Probably the most dangerous part of the trip, though, was not being on a plane, It was in Mumbai where his box, which was labeled as containing paint for a shoe company, was put on a tarmac with other cargo, where it sat in the sun for about four hours, because, hey, it's cargo. It will probably be fine. Unfortunately, Reg Spears was sweltering in the box and very well could have died. Uh, He said, quote, "'It was hot as hell in Bombay, so I took off all my clothes.'" They had the thing on its end. I was on the tarmac where they were changing me from one plane to another. I'm strapped in, but my feet are up in the air. I'm sweating like a pig, but not to give up. Wait, be patient, and eventually they came and got me and put me on another plane. Unquote. When he touched down in Perth, he put his clothes back on, got out of the box, strode out of the airport like nothing was amiss, and he hitchhiked home. Later on, the airline company didn't bother to charge him for airfare or shipping or anything, I guess because they just thought it was cool. But after successfully smuggling himself through the mail, Spears must have thought that he was quite the master of subterfuge. Because he started a new career as a drug smuggler. In 1981, he caught trying to smuggle cocaine and hashish into Australia, got caught, and was sentenced to 10 years in prison after pleading guilty. 
However, he skipped town and went to India. In India, he was arrested a year later. He escaped again, showed up again in Sri Lanka, this time using a phony French passport and a fake name, and Sri Lankan officials busted him for having a kilogram of heroin, so 2.2 pounds. He also had some hashish on him. He was put on trial in Sri Lanka for drug possession and drug smuggling and sentenced to death. But he was okay. He appealed. He got a reprieve. He served five years in prison in Australia. He's now 75 and he's out of prison. And he wrote a book about his experience of being a master smuggler, as he called himself. Though I imagine real master smugglers don't ever get caught or go public or anything like that. But... These are only four examples of many, many people who've tried to smuggle themselves through the mail system. Most examples are not nearly so successful. Most examples are tragic. In fact, there was one man who tried to copy Reg Spears' trip through the mail and nearly died of dehydration. Don't send yourself through the mail, everyone, even if, when it works out, it's kind of cool. This podcast is 100% listener-supported. To become a supporter, go to weirdhistorypodcast.com, and thank you to all of you who support the podcast every month. Couldn't do this without you. We are on iTunes. Give us ratings and reviews. That helps other people discover the show. I am on social media, facebook.com slash weirdhistorypodcast, and I'm on Twitter at Joe Streckert. Thank you all very much for listening. Talk to you next week. Bye.